0: Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful to be in the presence of the Lord. And I don't want to ever take for granted His Spirit. I know we we have expectations sometimes. We come to church and Wednesday night it's the end of the day and we kind of know what the order is going to be. We're going to just work our way through it and get through it but you know the lord is able to slip in and do more in just a moment than we could with all of our effort and all of our trying and we just need to keep our hearts open to what the lord wants to do amen what an awesome privilege to serve a god who is so real and so near to us amen i'm going to just read a few verses tonight as we get started, and uh, then I'll let you be seated. I want to go to John chapter 3, and just read a very familiar passage to you, just a couple verses, and then I want to look at a lot of verses, all right? Amen. John chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Just one more time before we go into the word of the Lord tonight, let's ask the Lord to have his way in our hearts for the last few minutes of this service tonight. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence that we feel so near. We ask, Lord, that your will would be accomplished That our hearts would be open to hear the voice of the lord tonight and lord that you would speak to us and that you would strengthen us and you would give us what we need for the days that are ahead and our trust and our hope is in you tonight we believe you for it in jesus name we pray amen amen you may be seated the book of john gospel of john is a it is a unique gospel you no doubt are aware that Matthew Mark Luke and John are commonly called the four gospels Matthew Mark and Luke are often grouped together and called the synoptic gospels because there is a fair amount of parallelism in those three gospels and that word synoptic just means seen together they have a similar view of Jesus Christ they present a similar view of the lord <clears throat> they have their own unique characteristics. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, and Mark presents him as, um, more as a servant, and Luke presents him to the Gentiles. But there is a great deal of parallelism, commonality between those three that is really not present in the Gospel of John. John was written much later, toward the end of John's life, probably around 90 A.D., and uh, certainly 85 to 90 AD, something along those lines. We have the benefit in the book of John, the gospel of John, of John's age and his reflection back on the life of Jesus Christ. And he presents Jesus in a different way than the other writers do. And having the benefit of time and reflection, he interjects some things from time to time that are valuable to us and they provide us with additional insight. And uh, these are great nuggets that John leaves behind for us. John's view is different. He has a different purpose. And uh, whereas Matthew and Luke in the early parts of their Gospels, they start with the genealogy of Jesus reckoning his life back to Abraham, or even back to Adam, Um, John takes a different view and just says, in the beginning was the Word. Before the in the beginning of Genesis 1-1, there is the in the beginning of John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. We know that was Jesus Christ. At the end of the book, John tells us why he has written the book. He does not give us his purpose up front. In your high school literature class, your English teacher may have told you you need to state your thesis up front and then you need to defend it. But John didn't go to our schools. And he says at the end, the reason why he wrote the book. John chapter 20, he said many other things did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. I haven't captured it all. But, he says, these are written. I made a choice to record these things. And these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He says, I wrote these things, first of all, to prove to you that Jesus is Messiah, and that he is son of god and that proof that defense of the gospel should have a practical impact in your life that believing you might have life through his name so he has a twofold purpose i have written these things that you might believe that he is the christ the son of god and that believing you might have life through his name if you look through john there is contrast all over the place. John presents episode after episode where there is a contrast between different things. In the opening chapter, it's the contrast between light and darkness. He was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness was not able to overcome it. As King James says, comprehended it not, but just means the darkness lost that battle because the light shined in darkness. And the common contrast is between believers and unbelievers and and john shows in stark contrast what happens to the believer and the the things that the benefits to the believer and and uh, the detrimental things that happen to the unbeliever and he he shows them in stark relief to each other you see the contrast between jesus humanity and his divinity think of john chapter 11 jesus at lazarus tomb in one verse he's weeping. And just a few verses later, he's saying, Lazarus, come forth. There is a contrast between his humanity and his divinity. And John presents this over and over again in his gospel. It, is, it reminds me of the opening, those famous lines from Dickens' tale of two cities that he opens with. He says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. And you could apply these lines, really, to the Gospel of John. He was showing over and over again, this was Israel's best time, but because they rejected him, it was actually their worst time. There was great wisdom that came to them, but because they rejected it, it was the age of foolishness. He said it was the epoch of belief, and it was the epoch of incredulity or an inability to believe it was the season of light it was the season of darkness it was the spring of hope and it was the winter of despair and i suppose there were never words written outside the scripture that better describe the state of the nation of israel at that time and for that matter our own time our own day our own age is described there john presents to us a contrast beginning in chapter 3, and I guess I would call it a tale of two sinners instead of a tale of two cities. He starts with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Of course, you know the story. He comes to Jesus by night, and there is, um, there is some conjecture about why Nicodemus chose to come at night some have said because he was a ruler of the jews no doubt well respected and uh, we can infer this we get clues from different places nicodemus was highly respected and so perhaps he was stealing under the cover of night to find jesus um, without others being aware Uh, but it's possible that he really was just going to jesus at night because that was the custom that's when the rabbis often sat around and discussed different things, and it was a common thing among the studied lawgivers and what have you of the day that they would meet with students at night, and so Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night, and he says, he's kind of trying to just start the conversation, we we know you're a teacher come from God. We've seen all these miracles that you have done, and we know that you have to have come from god of course jesus doesn't spend any time defending himself or making a case for himself he just goes right to the heart of the matter he goes right to nicodemus heart and he says those famous words i say unto you except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god now i think for me anyway This idea of being born again, the new birth, there is such a familiarity with it that sometimes we lose the jolt that must have been to Nicodemus' ears when he heard that. How must that have shaken him for Jesus to say to him, you must be born again? If you had never heard that phrase before, if you had no idea what it meant... You know, we give Nicodemus a hard time because he says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born? Well, of course not. Well, Nicodemus is saying, I understand, of course not. So explain this to me because it doesn't make sense. And there was a there was a natural reaction and a shaking. But for Nicodemus, it was more than just the natural like how what do you mean be born again that makes no sense to me i think the lord spoke to nicodemus in this way also for a spiritual reason because nicodemus placed faith in his first birth he nicodemus felt like he had an inside track because of his heritage because of how his lineage and he could reckon his line all the way back to father Abraham and that brought with it some uh, not just prestige but that meant he was part of God's chosen people and it was God's people that he, he that God would speak through Paul even said what advantage hath the Jew and then he says much every way because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And Nicodemus had this understanding and a recognition that he had a certain amount of advantage because of his birth. And so for Jesus to say, you really need to be born again. Your first birth is not going to cut it. It no doubt shook him to the core. Jesus begins to explain in a measure what he's talking about. I say unto you, except a man be born of water and spirit cannot enter the kingdom of god verse 7 marvel not that i said unto you and and uh, the wind blows where it listeth and he's explaining to him about receiving the spirit and nicodemus said how can these things be and jesus asks him in verse 10 aren't you a master of israel how do you not know this and there's an indication there that nicodemus is the primary teacher in all of israel and he's coming to Jesus and Jesus is poking him how are you a master in Israel and you don't understand these things you don't know what God is going to be doing what God wants to do and uh, you know we we often pull verses and we have verses that stick in our mind John 3 16 used to be for a generation or so, at least, the, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. I'm not sure it is anymore. I think it's, what is it, Matthew 7, Now judge not that you be not judged. I think that's the most well-known verse now and taken out of context. But John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world, To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Those verses, they're part of this conversation with Nicodemus. And Jesus spends a great deal of time with Nicodemus, talking to him. And it seems like it probably had a profound effect. There was no immediate reaction. Uh, We don't see Nicodemus asking to be baptized or being filled with the Spirit. The Holy Ghost wasn't yet given. We know that from John 7. And uh, so we don't see an immediate reaction. But but we do know that after the crucifixion, whenever um, Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Jesus, that Nicodemus came and, and he brought spices and he helped Joseph prepare the body for burial. So there there was some relationship there. It had some impact on him. But what is interesting to me is the very next chapter, as you move into chapter 4, Jesus leaves this audience with the master of Israel and uh, there was some pressure that started to build in Jerusalem and so Jesus felt like he needed to go to Galilee. Now if you flip over to the maps in the back of the book, you'll notice that Jerusalem is in Judea in the southern part of the nation of Israel and in the northern part is Galilee where Jesus was from, his home country you might say. And, of course, these things wind up being almost like counties, right? It's not very far. But between Judea and Galilee sat Samaria. And Samaria was kind of no man's land because the Samaritans were uh, viewed as being a mixed race. They had intermarried with the um, heathen nations in the Old Testament. And uh, there's so much history there. You may remember the time after the reign of david and solomon there was the period of the divided kingdom and the one kingdom was kind of overwhelmed by all of the pagan nations they intermarried and it seems like the samaritans were essentially what was left of all of that and and, and so the jews felt like they were compromisers and there was no uh, the jews had no dealings with the samaritans And in fact, the Jews, rather than if they needed to go from Judea up to Galilee, rather than going through Samaria, they would cross over the Jordan and they would go through the wilderness and then cross the Jordan and get back to Galilee. They were willing to walk through the wilderness to avoid going through Samaria. But as Jesus made his way, he said, of course, I must needs go through Samaria, verse 4 of chapter 4. And... He came to a well near the city of Sychar, and if you look at this journey, it was a fairly arduous journey. And Scripture says that when Jesus got to that well, he was wearied. He sat down; he was he was spent. And as he's sitting there, he sends the disciples into the town to buy something to eat. I think not just because he was tired and didn't want to go in, but he had a divine appointment at the well. And this woman at the well, she comes to the well to draw water. She comes in the middle of the day when no one else is there, and she begins to draw water. And Jesus asks her for a drink, and she is shocked and amazed. And uh, she says, because part of the problem, he's a man, and she's a woman, he's not talking to her, but she knows he's also Jewish. So why the jews have nothing to do with samaritan why are you even talking to me and he said to her if you knew who it was that was talking to you you would not you would have been asking me for a drink (laughs) and she looks at him and says this well is deep and you don't have anything to draw with so he begins to talk to her about living water and that his well is greater than jacob's well and and they get into this conversation. I, I wish we had time to kind of unfold it all, because she, like many of us, maybe want to wants to have this conversation and make it into a theological discussion. And, and so, oh, she says, "This is about theology." So, um, you know, our fathers say we should worship in this mountain, and your fathers say we should worship in Jerusalem. So, so where should we worship? And of course, Jesus says. It's not about the place, but the time is coming when the Lord seeks true worshipers and those that worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And and so they begin this having this conversation. Jesus says to her, she asks a question. Jesus said, why don't you go and get your husband? She says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, no, you've spoken truly. You actually had five husbands. The one you're with is not your own husband. And she said, now I've heard of Messiah. <laughs> when he read her mail, he she figured... Maybe we're onto something here. And the interesting thing is Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I am Messiah. Now he had just had a conversation with a master of Israel in Jerusalem. And he didn't say that. Because if you read at the end of chapter 2, after he had cleansed the temple, there was a group that started to follow Jesus. But John writes and says he did not commit himself to them. Because he knew what was in the heart of man. He didn't need anybody to tell him. He knew what was in man's heart. And he didn't commit himself to them. But here he is in the middle of Samaria. At a well near the city of Sychar. And he says to this woman, I am Messiah. As far as John's record is concerned, she is the first one that Jesus ever said that to. He didn't say it to anybody in Jerusalem he didn't say it to anybody in Judea he didn't even reveal it in Galilee he said it to a woman at a well in Samaria I started thinking about Nicodemus and this woman there are so many contrasts there are so many differences between them Nicodemus is well obviously first of all he's named he has a name John says Nicodemus came by night But at the woman at the well all we know is we don't even know her as the woman of Sychar. We just know she went to this well is what is the way we refer to her. There is no name. Nicodemus of course is a man. She's a woman. Nicodemus is respected in the community. Apparently because of her home wrecking ways she was not respected. She had gone to that well in the middle of the day which was not the custom because more than likely she was trying to escape the stares and the glares and the backbiting whispers that would occur if she went to the well when everyone else did early in the day and late in the day. So she chose to bear the heat of the day rather than all of the slings and arrows of those that would have been at the well. So while Nicodemus has this great reputation and he's an upstanding and moral man by all accounts, this woman is immoral and her reputation is lacking. Nicodemus was a master in Israel, educated, um, a teacher, and this is a woman who would not have had access to that kind of teaching and was uneducated. Nicodemus was part of the chosen people, and she was an outcast Samaritan. Um, Nicodemus uh, was aware that he needed to talk to the Lord. He was aware that there was something that he needed from the Lord, but this woman was apparently unaware of her need. Nicodemus went to the Lord, but Jesus was the one who initiated the contact with the woman at the well. She was everything Nicodemus was not. She was Uninterested, She was unaware of her spiritual need. She had no doubt her mind was consumed only with her situation in her life. Nicodemus went to Jesus by night. Jesus went to her in the middle of the day. In almost every way that you can think of, they were different. They were polar opposites. And yet, the answer is much the same for both of them regardless of their situation, the answer is, you must be transformed, you must be changed by the power of God. I don't know how we think of ourselves, Um, you may not have even given this much thought, it may just be um, something that we do unconsciously, how do we see ourselves? When we read a parable, uh, when we read the parable of the lost coin, or the lost sheep? Are we one of the ninety and nine, or are we the one who is going out seeking for the wayward one, or are we the wayward one? And when we talk about the lost son, are we the father who is welcoming those who would come back who had been lost and um, along the way, or are we the older brother who would resent the uh, wasteful younger brother's return, or are we the one? sitting in the pig pen that the father was looking for and welcomed back to the house. When we look at Nicodemus and the woman at the well, how do we see ourselves? You know, Paul was a lot like Nicodemus. He was educated, he was trained, he had everything at his fingertips as far as the nation of Israel was concerned, and he wrote in Philippians chapter 3 he said beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of the concision the division that would come he said for we he's talking to the Gentiles now he's talking to the Christian believers he says we are the circumcision see there was a in the early church there was a division between the Jews and the Gentiles and If you read Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes the case pretty strongly that old division was done away at Calvary. And the middle wall of partition, the thing that divided the Jews and the Gentiles, was taken out of the way. And God did not make the Gentiles part of Israel. He actually created something brand new in the church that Israel and the Gentiles both become part of something brand new. And this is what he's saying in Philippians chapter 3. We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And then he explains his position. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is to the law, blameless, but these things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He had to come to the point where All of these things that Nicodemus brought to the Lord, his trust in his first birth, Paul said, if I was going to get anywhere with Christ, I had to throw all of that aside and I had to count that as loss. It was waste. It was gone away. Paul said, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Modern translations say rubbish. That probably sells it a little bit soft. It's not exactly what he's saying. He said those things were refuse. They were waste. They were worth less than nothing. And I had to get to that point where those things were repulsive to me and I put them aside so that I could win Christ. This is the message to Nicodemus. If you think you have whereof to boast, you better re-examine because you've got nothing in your life and in fact, Nicodemus, your life is so useless in being presented to God, you just need to be born again. <laughs> you just need to start over. What a shocking message. But I think most of the time we probably realize we're more like the woman at the well, that we have no leg to stand on. We're, we are lost and undone. And the more I look at these two sinners the more I realized they really are one. They're lost and undone in different ways. Nicodemus thought he was making progress, but he wasn't. The woman at the well had no idea that she needed to make progress, other than that no doubt her life was one of turmoil and misery and hurt and heartache, and she couldn't figure out what she was doing wrong. But both of them, when they met Jesus, that was... The turning point i guess for them and i think it's the same story for us with if anything we're we're like the woman at the well paul said romans chapter 5 when we were yet without strength in due time christ died for the ungodly he said for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man some might even dare to die but god Committed His love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The picture that rings true to us is the woman at the well. This is Jesus climbing over social barriers that we have erected, and and saying, "I'm not going through the wilderness. I have an appointment at a well in Samaria." Jesus saying, I, I can't stay in heaven. God saying, I, I can't just stay here. I've got to somehow get into that economy of the earth if I'm going to overcome sin. Jesus knew he could not make his appointment. He couldn't help the woman at the well in Samaria if he stayed in Jerusalem or even if he went to Galilee. There was a necessity that he go to Samaria. And he went over the social barriers, not barriers that he had erected, barriers that other people had erected. And he spent everything he had getting to that well. When he got there, he sat down on the well, wearied. He was spent because from a physical standpoint, he had walked a hard journey and he was spent at the well. No doubt at Calvary when he cried, it is finished. He was spent. But there is no doubt that the cry at Calvary, it is finished, was not an admission of defeat. It was a cry of victory because he knew what he had accomplished. Jesus went to where she was because he knew she would never be able to come where he was. She had no motivation to go where he was. She did not know that she needed to go where he was. And John would write in his epistle, 1 John, and he just simply says, we love him because he first loved us. We are the woman at the well. I'm not even Nicodemus. I didn't even know enough to go to him. He had to come to me. He had to make that appointment. He had to be there at that well in my life. He had to meet with me in a way that I could not have expected or anticipated. That is the story of the woman at the well. Jesus stepping over those boundaries, stepping over every barrier that would get in his way to reach out to her. It's amazing to me that John said, He didn't commit himself to the men in Jerusalem because he knew what was in their heart. But he went to a woman with no reputation in Samaria, living in sin, and he committed himself to her. He revealed himself to her. That's where I think we are tonight. I don't know about you this season. I love the holiday season. I love thinking about Christ coming. I love thinking... About the incarnation and what it means to us. And I don't ever want to lose that sense of wonder of realizing how completely lost we were and how completely lost we would be without Him. But that He, of His own will and His own accord, He came for me. It's, I, I'm so thankful to have been able to live for the Lord for a good number of years. But I don't ever want to lose that sense of, why me? It's, there's benefits to living for God. There are blessings, and there is peace that comes from living, with God, living for God. And, and I don't ever consider, I don't want to consider living any other way, but I don't ever want to forget that, you know, this really wasn't my choice to begin with. The Lord somehow dawned on this silly little brain and said this is really the way to live. This is this is really the right way to live. This is the way of peace because the way of the transgressor is hard and, and I don't ever want to be stuck in that situation to think that somehow I'm able to bring something to the table or that, that I, I'm able to accomplish something on my own. Any peace, any blessing, any love, any bonds of familiarity or family that are in our lives they are blessings from god and he stepped over barriers and boundaries to get to us i'm so thankful for that tonight why don't we stand together and i want us to as we close tonight just allow the lord to speak to our hearts again his presence was so sweet here as we worship together Allow that presence of the Lord to speak to you tonight. And uh, I don't ever want to lose the gratefulness and gratitude that God brings in our lives and for what he has done in our lives. And why don't we pray together in closing tonight? Lord, we are so grateful for what you have done. So grateful for your love, your great love, wherewith you loved us. Lord, we're so thankful tonight that you have been gracious to us and you have shown kindness to us and there may have been days lord when we might have thought we were nicodemus that we had it all together and that we were some way somehow having something that would be of value that that you would find value lord but it was not in anything that we would do or anything that we could bring but you did see value in us even though we weren't worth it some way lord you saw us and we were like the woman at the well who had no idea of her need and no idea of how how profound our need was. And yet you came to us and you revealed yourself to us. You showed yourself to us and you strengthened us and you transformed us with your presence and with your spirit. Lord, I, I don't ever want to lose sight of that. I want your presence and your spirit to go with us and always to stir in us a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for what you have done for your blessings lord not just material blessings but lord the peace and the the transformation that you bring in our lives and the ways in which you have changed us and saved us from destruction i pray lord that you would go with us every step of the way Never let us lose sight of the fact that you have been with us. It's by your grace and your strength that we stand in your spirit, in the presence of the Lord. We will be quick to give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, bless you tonight. Amen. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap. We go into this heart of this holiday season keep the lord close at hand and allow his spirit to strengthen you and nourish you times with your families and and uh be safe and be cautious but uh, enjoy the strength of being together and being nourished together in the presence of the spirit of the lord amen we will see you sunday morning lord bless you